Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by co-founder and CEO of Mush, Ashley Thompson. Mush is a ready-to-eat overnight oats company. Ashley left her job on Wall Street and moved to California to pursue this passion of hers. Ever since she was little, she would make her own soak cereals. She wanted to make it easier for people to eat healthier, starting with a breakfast staple. We talked to Ashley about how Mush is differentiating itself amongst its competitors, its target consumer, and how she is navigating direct-to-consumer versus grocery. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. We're really pumped to be chatting with you. For our listeners, can you introduce um, yourself and tell us a little bit about Mush? Absolutely. I am Ashley, co-founder and CEO of Mush. I grew up on the East Coast. I went to school there, college in New York City, got my start in finance, and then impulsively quit my job, moved to Southern California and started a ready-to-eat oatmeal company called Mush. And here I am. Love it. Can you tell us what Mush is, like what the product actually is at the heart of it? Sure. So we manufacture and distribute ready-to-eat oats. So we take oats and we soak them in some sort of plant-based milk, either almond or coconut, and we flavor the oats with whole food ingredients, predominantly different fruits. They come in a variety of flavors that are accessible and span different day parts, including breakfast, snacking, dessert. So things like blueberry and strawberry, but then also some more indulgent flavors like dark chocolate. Where'd the idea come from to start an oat company? Yeah, uh, great question. So It really is an ode to a childhood hack that I had. I was obsessed with cereal as a kid and uh, was also pretty type A. And so I often made my breakfast the night before. I would soak different cereals overnight in chocolate milk in particular and would have this really like soggy, mushy concoction in the morning ready to go um, on my way to school. And over time, as I learned more uh, and more about nutrition and wellness, I evolved that into what is now considered overnight oats, where you soak whole rolled oats overnight in some sort of liquid and they're delicious, ready to eat, satiating the next day. That's how I got the idea was from reflecting on childhood and pulling that through into a, a more modern product. Love it. I feel like there has been a nice rise of this soft form, kind of cold oatmeal form, which people are really calling overnight oats. What do you think has really driven kind of that sort of trend? I think growing up, it was always kind of hot oatmeal, but now it's definitely shifted in in form factor. Yeah, I think the trend is really driven um, by two sort of macro forces. The first of which is... Like we simply don't have a lot of time anymore and our time is being consumed by so many different things. And so sitting down for a bowl of cereal, as convenient as that might sound or as convenient as that was, is just no longer 
as convenient. And so we're, we really are grabbing for things that are truly ready to eat on the spot. So that's the first. The second is there, there's obviously a huge rise in plant-based and what that means for our health and wellness and longevity. And so while yogurt is still a wonderful source of nutrition, people are looking for alternative options that don't necessarily depend on dairy ingredients or ingredients coming from animals. So anyway, I think those two things are really driving the category forward. And I think those two trends are certainly here to stay for quite some time. Yeah. I think what's super nice about kind of those two trends in this new form factor that I appreciate about mush in particular that you've really focused on is I think overnight oats historically, for me at least, has kind of required a good bit of preparation and what I need to do to kind of wake up to have that form factor in the morning. And for me, like what I really do love about mush is it's ready whenever you want it. There's no, it can be part of your routine. If it's like a ritual, you have it every morning or you have it each night. That's awesome. But you don't have to have a ritual where you actually physically take the time to prepare it. It can be kind of spontaneous as well. And so for me, it was just hard to convert me into this category at first because I just simply didn't have the time to always be preparing kind of with that routine to have the overnight ready in the morning. And I think like you've done an amazing job creating a product that's amazing and and kind of fits the form factor, but also can be enjoyed spontaneously without like physical preparation. Exactly. And I mean, we're seeing that people are eating it not just for breakfast, but as a midday treat. And if you don't have, you know, the the foresight or the the forward thinking to make it so that you can have it at any time of day, you likely just want it ready to go. And that's sort of the value proposition that we provide. Yeah. Just one more um one more question. I'm curious to learn your opinion on. I think there's kind of I wouldn't call it a war on carbs. But I think there's consumers who are very carb conscious. I think there's consumers who are somewhere in the middle. And then I think there's consumers who think actually like I need tons of carbs every day to fuel me. And like I'm focused on having a really high carb count. I personally kind of am different every day. Like if I'm going to go do cardio or do a Peloton bike or, or kind of be super active, I'm trying to fuel myself with carbs. I know on other days, I'm more focused on just having high protein and maybe having a few less carbs if possible. What's kind of your point of view on your consumer demographic and how it might relate to their kind of point of view on carbs, I guess? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, the consumer demographic that we're targeting is highly educated and quite active. And so, you know, with those two things being true, it lends itself well to the consumption of carbs. I think you know, the more educated we get around nutrition, the more we realize that extreme dieting and eliminating a a major macronutrient is not the answer to a healthy and, um, you know, prosperous life. Carbs are to the body as gasoline is to a, a car. And I think we all, to some degree, instinctively know that. And especially as we get more educated, we lean more and more that way. And then second to that is like, well, if our consumer you know, our core consumer is active and activity requires great energy. And we know that great energy comes from carbs, then there is, you know, necessarily a a need for them and a desire for them. So we haven't really run up into any major issues around carbs. And when we do, it's likely just talking to a consumer that isn't necessarily part of the core. Great answer. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into like the use case almost of when we're consuming these overnight oats, as you kind of mentioned with the flavor portfolios, you know, you can have them at so many different times of the day. What are you finding your consumers lean most into and how are you marketing it in that sort of fashion? Yeah, I I think, you know, the predominant use occasion and especially in the early innings of category development, which we find ourselves in currently, predominant use occasion is breakfast. Cereal is eaten predominantly in the morning and we want to piggyback off of that habit that's already built in to society. But we are also finding sort of anecdotally that consumers are really enjoying the product as a midday snack, as a pre or post-workout treat, or even as a dessert. And so when we think about, you know, flavor innovation, we certainly want to consider all of those usage occasions and how do we fulfill those needs across the different day parts. Yeah. How are you guys differentiating yourselves amongst the competitors? I feel like we've been seeing so many overnight oats companies come to the market as I know that you're aware of. So what's Mush doing differently? Yeah, I think there are some really big points of differentiation. The first of which is we're ready to eat product. There are a lot of overnight oats products coming to market, but none of them are ready to eat. That's a big point of difference, a big moat, given that you know we're growing a brand with cold supply chain. The second of which is we are made with all real whole food ingredients. I think you cannot say the same for any other brand on the market. A lot of times non ready to eat overnight oats, there are a lot of powders and and potentially added sugars that you're, you're seeing in those products. And then for those that are already ready to eat playing in the cold space, there are a lot of like gums and fillers and just additives that you necessarily wouldn't want to be eating. So big point of differentiation Ours are made with completely real whole food ingredients. I think that is a huge winning value proposition. Then the final thing in terms of our product versus other competitor products or competitive products. So ours are really like the closest thing to overnight oats. We actually, in the manufacturing process, don't ever heat the product. And overnight oats are actually, I mean, the whole concept of it is that you never heat the oats, you soak them. That's what soaks off something called phytic acid, which sort of um, inhibits your ability to digest all the nutrients that are found in oats. That soaking process is, is supposed to be really valuable for digestion. We sort of follow that same process almost to a T, whereas a lot of competitive products are actually heat pasteurizing the product and then putting it back in, you know, and cold filling it. I would say those three points are are probably the biggest. And I just think that ours tastes really delicious. I think we have maniacal focus on how do we make this product better and more convenient and at a better cost to more people. Yeah, I think you're definitely winning on ready to eat quality of ingredients um, and then unique flavor profile and innovation. On a different kind of topic, I think most people are probably buying this in retail, even though I know you have like a pretty big DTC business as well. I'd love to hear a little bit how you kind of think through kind of retail strategy as well as DTC strategy, just in terms of, you know, when you pick up a a mush, it's, it kind of looks like the same kind of packaging form as a yogurt. I imagine though in grocery, you, I don't know if you make the decision to kind of show up next to yogurt, 
you obviously can't really show up in the oat section because those are, are not refrigerated products. So how do you think like strategic placement in a retail environment? And then also would love, I mean, when you ship me DTC, the, the samples, it was perfect. It was still, it was still cold. It was great execution. But do you talk about maybe some of the complications as well in the other channel, the DTC channel related to cold chain shipping? Yeah. So when it comes to retail, you know, there, there are limited places that we can show up as you've mentioned. So we have to start with, okay, what's, what does the refrigeration real estate look like? And when you think about the day part, the form factor and sort of, I guess, incrementality to the set, yogurt is like glaringly the odd place to, to put the product. It's just so complementary to yogurt, same form factor, but completely different macronutrient profile, different texture, different flavor profile. So that's really been the strategy as of late is getting into that set. You know, the one thing you do really need to be cognizant of though, is that that's highly coveted set, a high turn set. And so managing the category and the story around what are the velocities today? What could they look like in future years with support is a critical component if you want to play in that space, just given that it's so competitive. In terms of DTC, you know, couple of things. One, it's just incredibly expensive for refrigerated you know, perishable brands to, to play in that space. So like unit economics are, are working against you. And then the second thing that people don't really talk about, and it's amazing, there's such a rise in like ESG and, you know, climate impact and what have you and our, our focus and care for the environment in conjunction with a rise in trying to get things as efficiently as possible direct to your door all the time with added packaging, added fuel costs, added carbon footprint. They're really like at odds with one another. And I think there will be like a, a bull whip at some point that sort of whips back that trend of just ordering everything direct to your door because it actually has like huge, like vast environmental implications. So for those two reasons, we don't necessarily lean into direct to consumer too much in our whole like i guess mission is to get healthier options better for you options to more people as an accessible price point as possible and the way to do that is not to like drive d to c it's to drive people to stores where they're already picking up a, a lot of products and where we can achieve scale like, you know, club and mass and, and retail. So we really haven't focused on it too much. I would say, you know, the thing that you miss out on is really like first party data. But I think there are other ways of understanding who the consumer is and how you can get in front of them so that they can hopefully enjoy the product. That was a really, really interesting point. I appreciate that. A question we, we like to ask our guests, what's one of the biggest regrets you have or mistakes that you've made? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I do a lot to avoid regret. In fact, like my like whole goal in life is to like avoid as much regret as possible and to maximize my own personal and professional potential. And so I make a lot of decisions within that framework, but biggest regret, I would probably say like the things I kick myself the most for are like decisions that I eventually made, but I should have made a lot sooner because I wasn't necessarily following my gut or was like really pressure testing a decision, you know, my, my gut and what I knew to be true or what I thought to be true. So if that's anything from like 
it took us a lot longer to transition from this like oblong, you know, tub that was six ounces with a spoon and lid to the current packaging. Like I sort of knew it early on that we needed to transition, but just kept pressure testing what have you. So I would say rather than like any particular decision, it's probably like the speed of my decision-making is usually the, the big, you know, crux of regret. (laughs) Fair enough. That's, I like that point. I think we often, and it's funny, sometimes people regret that they move too fast on decisions. So maybe it's a good thing that you move slower on decisions or you wish you did them sooner, but we're going to move into our favorite part of the podcast called rapid fire, which we're going to ask you some random questions and just throw us whatever comes your way. Most innovative way that you've seen your followers use or eat mush. So like in a parfait or like, I'm sure you've seen crazy stuff. I have seen such crazy stuff. I would say the most innovative way is I've seen people spread mush on toast. (laughs) So talk about, talk about carbo loading. They've spread mush on toast before. Interesting. That's very, how would that taste? (laughs) I don't know. I haven't tried it. (laughs) Favorite mush flavor. It's not out. So cliffhanger, I will say it's like a beloved flavor of decadent chocolatey candy that we've all come to love and has the most iconic orange wrapper. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that is. Love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last one that, that I love to ask too, because I lived in New York for five years. I'm originally from San Diego. So I play a huge soft spot for California. And you, you made the transition over to the better coast. Um, New York or LA in the end? Oh, both. I I mean, truly just two completely different worlds. Both have so many benefits and also extreme consequences. I don't know that I could choose. I really have come to love both so much. Fair. So we like to ask all of our guests how they subscribe to wellness. So what are some things that you do on a daily basis that makes you a better person, be able to thrive as the co-founder and CEO of Mush? I I love that you guys asked this question. I mean, it's obviously the premise of the entire podcast. And I I think I would want to start before answering that directly, just start by defining wellness from my perspective as living the life you prefer. And so if we take that as the definition, then in order to live that out on a weekly or daily basis, you need to one, acknowledge that your preferences will undoubtedly change over time and you need to be okay with that, that wellness will be an ever-evolving target for you. And then two, like you need to define your preferences at any given time so that you can actually achieve what wellness looks like from your eyes. And so once you have those preferences clearly defined, you can start to think about what are the small daily habits that are congruent with them. And those habits span so many different facets of life from the physical to the mental, to the spiritual, to even the environment in which you operate. And, you know, you have some sort of control over that. And so for me right now, my preference is to be physically healthy enough to pursue what I would consider a monumental spiritual and mental journey that is building a company in the health and wellness space. And so like in terms of daily or weekly practices, I tend to eat really healthy. I exercise moderately and I sleep at least eight hours a day. That's really important for me and my body and recovery so that I can funnel 
all of my time and, and great energy into building the business. So yeah, that's, wow. that's how I approach it. I think that's one of the, the best answers we've actually ever heard. Very well thought out, honestly. Incredible. Thank you. I, I think it's important to, to think about it because, you know, the term comes up so much, but if you don't define what it means to you, how do you achieve it? So, so yeah. thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Where could our listeners learn a little bit more about Mush? Well, you can certainly reach out to me. I uh, would love to talk to anyone personally about it, Ashley at eatmush.com, but uh, definitely on the website as well, eatmush.com. And then our Instagram handle is at mush. Awesome. Thank you so much for the conversation. Really, really enjoyed it and appreciate the time. Thank you both so much. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.